Good morning. I'm Elena. Welcome to Love Chapel Hill. Our name is our mission to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. I hope that you enjoy your time with us this morning. Good morning, Love Chapel Hill. My name is Brooke, and I am so excited for you all to be here today. You know, one of my favorite things that I get to do in this community is to see all of your wonderful faces on Sunday morning in the varsity and say hello. Of course, during this time, we are unable to physically meet together, but you can still meet with us virtually online. And one of the ways that you can do that is by filling out a virtual connect card. Whether you are a new person here or if you've been here for a really long time, we would love for you to fill out one of those connect cards and there you can put in any needs that you have, any information that you'd like to get from the church and we will get in contact with you as soon as we can. Also during this time, we need to be wearing face masks in order to keep both ourselves healthy and the people around us. So if you are in need of a cloth face mask, please fill out that virtual connect card and then we will be able to send you one through the mail. And in, if you wanna find those virtual connect cards, please just check out the YouTube description or the Facebook description and there should be a link right there to it. Thank you again for joining us and I hope that we get to see you very soon in person. Love you all. Hi Love Chapel Hill, my name is Sarah Cooper and I'm a graduate student at UNC and I miss seeing you all on Sunday mornings, but I'm here to remind you of all the ways you can still gather virtually over Zoom. If you go to our website, lovechapelhill.com, you'll see all the Zoom links that are listed there. We have a early morning prayer session on Wednesdays at 8 a.m. We also have in a Bible study that Matt leads uh, at 7 p.m. on Tuesday that's open to everyone. Or if you're looking for something more intimate and you want to try to uh, form a band, a small group of like two to three people, uh, the link is on the website as well. I know I'm in a band and I love meeting and talking with those women once a week. It just is so good for my soul to be able to share my highest of highs and my lowest of lows, all with a safe community of believers who will pray for me and support me. Speaking of prayer requests, if you have anything on your mind or on your heart that you'd like to share, uh, you can share those with us um, on our website. And if you are physically not doing well right now, you might need help uh, picking up groceries or with pharmacy pickup, we would love to help with that as well. Again, all of those resources are on our website, lovechapelhill.com. Ultimately, we just want to love and help connect with you in any way that we can.
affections of a father who will never let them go. Love Chapel Hill. Actually, I have two sermons for you today, and sermon number one begins right now. Uh, we've been studying the letter of Philippians together, written by the Apostle Paul, and we keep coming back to Philippians chapter two, which has been called the center of gravity of the entire letter. In that, Paul outlines the beauty of the pattern of the life of Jesus and challenges us to be transformed into that likeness. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And right before that, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others as better than yourselves. And then he says this, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Uh, a lot of times, even though that teaching is extremely practical, uh, it can be difficult for us to understand how we can immediately apply that to our lives and how the immediately obvious ways to actually live that out. Uh, but in the moment that we're in, we have a very simple way that we can do that. And it looks like this. All right. So sermon number one is wear a mask. Okay. We have been challenged by our governor. Uh, there's a mandate from our governor uh, for us all to wear masks whenever we are in public. Um, this is not just to protect ourselves, but also to protect the others that are around us. So how do we respond in the midst of a global pandemic? There are many ways that you have been responding and it's been so beautiful to see, but this right here 
is the least that we can do. So like any good sermon uh, needs an invitation and needs a way for you to respond. Here are some ways for you to respond to sermon number one today. Uh, First of all, wear your mask, okay? Number two, uh, if you don't have a mask, then please reach out to us. And we understand that some don't uh, and that the financial barrier there is real for people. And so uh, as this becomes a mandate for us all across the state, we want to help you with that. Uh, We have masks. Uh, We have people that are making masks. And so if you need that, please email us and we will mail it to you or we will bring it to you uh, and we will help you out in that. Okay. Uh, Number three, as I said, we have people who have been making masks um, and actually bringing them down to Franklin Street for several of our friends who are experiencing homelessness. And uh, we want to continue to make that available. So if you want to jump in and help with that, then that's another way that you can respond to this. So thus concludes sermon number one, main point, wear a mask. Can you tell I'm smiling under here? I'm actually smiling at you. All right. I love you. Okay. And this is what love looks like for us right now. And now for sermon number two. All right, here we go. Uh, We're going to keep moving in Philippians chapter 3. We started at the beginning of chapter 3 last week, and we went uh, through verses 1 through 11. Uh, And now we're going to pick up at chapter 12, and uh, we're going to go, I mean, verse 12, and we're going to go verses 12 uh, through 14 today. Here's what the Apostle Paul has to say to the church in Philippi. Uh, Here's the challenge for today. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to help us today. Uh, Speak to us and speak for us. Help our minds and our hearts and our souls to be open to you so that we can respond with our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So uh, as Paul moves into this next section of chapter 3, we can tell that there's a shift in the way that he is speaking here. Uh, There's a a shift in his train of thought. As he begins chapter three, uh, he starts with this confrontational language and this really sharp language that he has for the people who are trying to undercut the faith of those believers in the church in Philippi. And uh, so he uses this very strong language and you can hear his frustration But even more than frustration, you can hear this righteous sense of anger that people are trying to harm and undercut the faith of these believers that he has such affection for that we've been talking about throughout studying this letter. And so he has that sense of, uh, you can hear that angst in the way that he's writing. Then he moves in after that and he begins to talk about his own resume Uh, which he refers to as rubbish as he looks back on it and all of the things that he was striving for, all of the things that he was building up in his own strength, in his own power uh, that he thought was was, uh, making his way into this relationship with God. 
And he says, now in light of Christ, he considers all of that rubbish. And there's this change that happens uh, as Paul is writing. And you can almost hear it in his words and you can almost see this change happen in his heart. So he's angry and frustrated towards these people. Uh, that are harming these believers. Uh, he's looking back on his resume and all of the things, all of the works that he piled up, and he's looking at it with a sense of disgust. Disgust, And then we see this shift as he begins to talk about what he calls the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. The surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. And we, we can see like this, this the, the flame sparked in a fresh way in his heart as his mind and his eyes and his soul and his heart begin to focus on Jesus. And those things that he was talking about at the beginning of the chapter begin to fade into the background for him. And his focus is now set on Jesus. And you can sense that love just stirred up in his heart as he talks about the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And so we see that shift. His focus is now on Jesus and he is leaning into that, um, leaning into that focus. And, and out of that flows these next words that Paul writes as he talks about i've not already obtained all this i've not already been made perfect but i press on to take hold of that for which christ jesus has taken hold of me so we're going to walk through these uh, verses together and unpack these together uh, what paul's doing here is as he shifts and you sense that shift of his heart and that shift of his focus uh, and you can hear that love that he has for jesus uh, he begins to use this analogy and he uses this image. He does this quite a bit. Um, he comes back time and time again uh, to athletic imagery in his writing in, in different letters uh, because Paul is writing at a time when uh, the Roman Empire uh, is uh, the overwhelming power of the world and the culture of the Roman Empire uh, has affected the world all around him, particularly in Philippi. Uh, this is a place um, where many uh, former Roman soldiers are now retired, and so there's this sense of nationalism and this sense of patriotism uh, that is prevalent in this city. And so Paul draws on that cultural connection uh, and this sense of pride uh, that the people of the Roman Empire had around uh, their athletic contests. The same is similar for us in our culture right here where we live, right? It's, it's always kind of in the background. Uh, and even people who aren't much uh, of sports fans don't really get into athletics and don't really get into sports. Like really early, you, you are forced to kind of make a decision, who are you for, right? Uh, and you know that that's always gonna be a part of the conversation. It's just a part of the background of our culture. Same was true uh, in Paul's day. This, this sense of this pride that they had in the athletic contest, it was a part of that Roman Empire culture. And they saw it even as a part of their sophistication as a culture. 
And so uh, Paul is referring to this. He does it often in his letters, and he's doing it again here. This athletic imagery, and particularly here, it's this imagery of a race, of running this race, and this goal that is out before him that he is pressing towards, that he is pressing towards. So a couple of things that he says here that are, that are interesting. Um, not that I've already obtained all of this. And there's this sense um, that, and as he says, as he continues to say, this sense of pressing forward and this sense of leaning in. Uh, again, this is not about um, earning salvation. Okay, he's not saying it in that sense. You, you can't read Paul's letters and think that he's ever talking about that. But instead, he, he has this, this deep longing and this sense of a continually growing satisfaction in Jesus. He knows that Jesus is the only one who satisfies. And yet in this strange and paradoxical kind of way, uh, the more he is satisfied in Jesus, the more longing he has for Jesus. The more he experiences the satisfaction that only comes through Jesus Christ, the more he is hungry to know Jesus more. So what Paul's getting at here right from the beginning, the overarching message of this is this challenge right here. Move into more move into more. Not because Christ isn't enough, because Christ is everything. He is enough. And the more that you experience that satisfaction of him, it awakens a deeper hunger. I know that seems like a paradox, but that's part of the beauty and the mystery of life in Jesus Christ. The more satisfied you are in him, the more you long to know him and to move even deeper into that. So he says, I've not already been made perfect. That's an interesting word right there. Uh, in a lot of your translations, it probably says, I've not already reached the goal. And it uses this, this word of goal instead of perfect. And that's actually more along the lines of the spirit of this word. So I have an older uh, translation of the NIV. Uh, this is a Bible that I've had since I graduated from college uh, and for almost the whole 10 years of Love Chapel Hill. This is the Bible that I've used uh, to study and to preach from, so I'm not giving up on it. Uh, Sarah just got it rebound for me um, this year, so I'm sticking with this older version, all right? Um, but when we hit a word like that, we'll do our best to, to come together and to understand what what is behind it, okay? Okay. Uh, so the word that's being used here as translated in mine is perfect, possibly in yours as reaching the goal. Uh, that's more along the spirit of the, of the word. The New Testament is written in the Greek language. Uh, and that word for perfect uh, in the Greek language is to be brought to completion, to be brought to the goal. And it's this sense of wholeness and this sense of fullness. Not that I achieve on my own but that I experience in Christ and through the power of Jesus. He is the one who brings me to the goal. He is the one who brings it to completion, that work that he began in us. That's the spirit of the word there. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And so you have this sense of uh, pressing in, towards the goal. 
one of my seminary professors, uh, Dr. Robert Mulholland, wrote a book called The Invitation to a Journey and then a follow-up book to that called The Deeper Journey. Uh, and in that book, The Deeper Journey, he asked this question, what is the goal of Christianity? We, we want to know that. Those of us who are goal-oriented people, uh, you want to know what direction am I headed here? What is this path? What is it that I've signed up for? What is the goal? And he says very plainly, the goal of Christianity is to be made like Jesus, to become like Jesus, to be transformed by the grace of Jesus, to be reshaped and reformed into the likeness of Christ. And therefore, C.S. Lewis says, to become more like our true selves, actually, the selves that we were born to be. That's the goal of Christianity. Some of you are goal-oriented people. Others of you are people-oriented. So if you're goal-oriented or you're people-oriented, uh, the truth of this passage, it's good news for both of you, okay? Because the goal is actually a person. It is Jesus himself. And the purpose of this life as we are brought into salvation it doesn't end for us at that moment of salvation. But then we move into this invitation to keep moving into a deeper life with Jesus. Move into more. That's why the moment of salvation is referred to as the new birth. Sometimes referred to as being born again. That is the beginning moment for us that launches us into this lifelong journey with Jesus. The word goal here and referring to Jesus himself as the goal and becoming like Jesus as the goal, uh, it has a dual sense. So there's the sense of destination that's very clear, but there's also the sense of journey. And this life of becoming more like Jesus is an ongoing journey. It's something that will continue for the rest of our lives. Paul says this himself. Paul, the Apostle Paul, says, I haven't yet arrived at the destination. I am still on the journey. It is an ongoing journey for me. Um, in a lot of theological traditions, this journey is referred to as holiness or oftentimes as sanctification as this process of becoming more and more like Jesus, this process of growing in grace. And those two words, holiness or sanctification, uh, may sound uh, intimidating to you. They're not designed to be intimidating. Instead, they're designed to be inviting. And it's this invitation into life with Him, moving deeper into that deeper way with Jesus. As Paul describes though in Philippians chapter 2, the direction of deeper is down. It's this life, remember the life of Jesus, that pattern, this life of humility, of surrendering ourselves, of dying to ourselves, and then in sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, also sharing in his resurrection powers. We experience that new birth, born again in him, and brought into the fullness of that resurrection life, this ongoing, deeper journey. That's what Paul is pressing us into. That's what he is pressing into himself. And it's not designed to be intimidating. Instead, it's designed to be 
inviting. If you are still breathing, then you are still becoming. If you are still breathing, then you are still becoming. This is the goal of Christianity. It's the destination, but even more than that, it's the journey. And the goal is a person, Jesus himself. The finish line is also the trainer who is running beside us every step of the way in this race. I want to challenge you in that. And I want to invite you to pray that prayer and to ask Jesus to bring you into the deeper life. If that awakens some kind of hunger in you today, then I want to really challenge you into that, to pray for that and to ask Jesus to bring you into a life of holiness, to bring you into a life of sanctification. It's not by your own strength. It's something that he initiates, as Paul says, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. God initiates this and then he invites us deeper into it. He's the one who sustains it. He's the one who empowers it. He's the one who pioneered the way and shows us what it looks like. He's the one who moves beside us every step of the way and empowers us from within to continue to win this race. I want to challenge you to ask him to bring you into that kind of life. Jesus, show me what it looks like to live a holy life. Jesus, show me what it looks like to be sanctified, to be set apart for you and to move into that deeper life. If you continue to pray that prayer, it will absolutely change your life if you'll respond to that invitation that he's giving to you. Paul says, forgetting what is behind. So all that he was talking about before, it is left behind him and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, as he's using that race analogy uh, and that running the race kind of analogy, when he talks about winning the prize, again, this is Paul we're talking about. So he's not talking about earning your salvation, but instead the journey and the destination both. It's not just heaven. It's the treasure of heaven himself, Jesus Christ. The surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. That is the prize. It's not something that we win in our own strength. It's something that is given to us through the grace of God as we continue to move deeper in him and to grow more and more in his grace, transformed every day into the likeness of Jesus. If you're still breathing, you are still becoming. Don't quit the race. Don't give up. Continue to run. This isn't about speed and it's not about performance, but instead it's about obedience and it's about accepting that invitation and it's about endurance, continuing to move into more, to move more deeply into Him. Now, as we're wrapping up today, um, I want to challenge you with this, to build on this analogy that Paul gives us of this race. Uh, I, I did have the passing thought <laughs> this week about us possibly trying to film like at the track here at UNC and uh, using that as the background for this image of the race. Uh, but then it hit me. I don't think that's, that's the setting here. I don't think we're talking about a race in the sense of a track 
uh, where you're in some athletic complex, but instead it's more like a marathon. It's more like a long distance kind of race. And for many of you who've participated in marathons or even 5Ks here in, uh, in town, you'll know that they start in one place. Uh, and then as you're running, uh, it's not on a set track somewhere, but instead that race often takes you across campus here at UNC. It takes you onto Franklin Street often. It takes you into neighborhoods. It takes you by businesses. Um, it takes you out into the world. It's not just reserved someplace on a track, but instead it spills out and into the neighborhoods and out onto the street here in the community, across campus, into our homes. The same is true for this race that we are running in Jesus. And we are invited to move out into the community as we run that and recognize that that's where the race is taking place. It's in our homes, it's in our neighborhoods, it's in our workplaces, it's on our campuses, uh, it's in our classrooms, it's everywhere that we go, it's in our businesses. It's everywhere that we go. And we're called to move into more and to continue to move more deeply in this life of holiness, into this invitation, not intimidation, but invitation into sanctification of becoming more and more like Jesus. I challenge you to pray that prayer. Jesus, make me more like you. Father, who is the gardener, cultivate that growth in me. Jesus, who is the true vine, teach me what it looks like to abide in you. Holy Spirit, fill me so that I can bear the fruit of the Spirit in my life for the hungry world around me to taste and to see that you are good. This is what Paul is challenging us into. It goes back to what we've talked about over and over again through this series and through studying this letter. As Paul says in chapter 1, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. We understand what, what we mean when we say to live for Christ, to live with Christ, to live by Christ, to live in Christ. The mystery is to live is Christ, is this, this verb to be. Our very existence, our very way of being in the world. Jesus is inviting you more and more into that. Move into more. If you are breathing, you are still becoming.
your voice You have led me through the fire In my darkest nights You were close like no My name is Joel. Uh, I'm with Connections here at Love Chapel Hill. Uh, as we close today, I want to ask you a question. What is your favorite type of story? Do you like the story, the traditional story of the bad guy, or the good guy overbecomes the bad guy to win the day? Or do you like the more ambiguous stories where the character, uh, him or herself, uh, overcomes some sort of tragedy? Well, there's many types of stories that can be told. Uh, screenwriters and authors generally follow uh, a certain formula and I start out with a uh, character introduction where we meet the character or characters that we're supposed to care about uh, we learn about their environment uh, we also then we move into a character development stage where we learn their roles in the story and those 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 parts are designed uh, in storytelling for you to care about the characters and care about the people involved uh, but when the story gets really interesting is the part of storytelling where it's called an inciting incident. So an inciting incident is when the character or characters are faced with a choice, generally something that happened that they couldn't control, and they have a choice to go 
left or right, backwards, forward, whichever way they need to go. Uh, I'll give you an example in Star Wars for Star Wars fans. Uh, you have Luke Skywalker that meets Obi-Wan Kenobi and he gets his, his lightsaber for the first time. He hears a little about his father and uh, Obi-Wan asks him to go with him to help save Princess Leia. And Luke is not sure what he wants to do, but he goes back home. And this is the inciting incident. He goes home and he sees that his aunt and uncle who raised him are been murdered by stormtroopers and uh, his house is burned down. So he is, he is faced at that point with a choice what to do. Well, we know he ends up going on the Millennium Falcon with Han Solo, Chewbacca, Obi-Wan, and you know, starting an adventure that has lasted the last 40 years of storytelling. Uh, so this, these exciting incidences in the formula lead to the choices of the characters either making positive or negative turns. Uh, also, it establishes their agenda and their goal of the story, which leads to a conclusion. Well, in a world right now that we are experiencing uh, a ton of inciting incidences, such as uh, a global pandemic, uh, a financial crisis that has come from that pandemic, to a worldwide awakening of racial and social injustices, largely because of the heinous murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, uh, Elijah McClain, and many, many more names that, that we can even talk about where we should have to talk about. Well, uh, we are all being faced with choices. Uh, do we love each other? Do we love others or do we just love ourselves? Do we give grace as Jesus has given us grace or do we cast blame? Uh, do we pray uh, or do we panic? We're often faced with these choices these days and we don't know the outcomes. But the answer, I believe, to how we respond is really... Uh, a, a bigger answer to a bigger question is whose story are we living? Are we living our own story where God is uh, a character in our story or are we living God's character? We are his subplot to his greater story. We've been going over the book of Philippians the last few weeks and I've been challenged and just really listening at the heart of Paul and his message. Uh, and you see that his goal and his agenda is really driven off of his inciting incident where he supernaturally ran into Jesus on the road to Damascus and changed his life. And at that, after that point, he comes with a message that he's saying that we are supposed to be a part of God's story and that we are his subplot and not the other way around. That we must become less so that he can become greater. And this has become Paul's goal and his teachings. You see, not just in the book of Philippians, but in uh, many of his other writings. And in a world experiencing uh, so many inciting incidents, major ones, uh, I want to ask you today, whose story are you living? Is your story a reenactment of the Jesus story or is Jesus a character in your greater story? I want to speak to those of you right now that may be feeling that you're experiencing an inciting incident, whether it's watching this video today or something that's happened over the last few months. Uh, maybe you're even questioning whether Jesus is real, that God is real. Is this a story that I want to be a part of? Maybe you look like me and you're challenged with our uh, inner thoughts of our own biases and privileges and prejudices. Maybe you've been challenged lately with uh, fear and panic over the uncertain future. Well, I want to tell you today that you are not alone. And I want to invite you into something that knowing Jesus in a deeply, deeply,
deep way is a transformative experience and encounter that you are totally invited into, that you are welcomed into, that God invites you there. Uh, John 3, 16, the most uh, quoted scripture in the Bible, that for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That is an invitation to you today. That is possibly your inciting incident. And I want to invite you today, if if you are experiencing these things, you do not have to do this alone. You are not alone. Actually, your story is only just getting interesting. And I want to invite you into reaching out to us. Uh, Brooke said earlier in this video, you can fill out a virtual connect card where you can speak right directly to us. Uh, you can fill it out. You can tell us your story. You can ask your questions, but you do not have to do it alone. We want to be here with you. So I want to invite you to go ahead and do that uh, and become a part of uh, God's greater story. Well, we love you guys. Uh, hope to see you again next week. Thank you very much.